Amen, amen, amen. So Matthew chapter number five, beginning in verse number nine, we're coming down to the end. We're almost to the end of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are uh, just a, a summarized way of talking about this blessed life that Jesus is talking about. In reading verse number nine, the Bible says, and this is from Jesus, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And so what we're going to look at tonight is the peacemaker. But before we get into that, let's look first at the blessed life. Don't ever associate God's blessing with what? Natural things. Because you see, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is nothing that he's talking about in any of these beatitudes that say, when blessed are those that get a new car. Blessed are those with a two-story house. Blessed are those with a retirement plan. Don't ever associate the natural things with spiritual because Jesus did it right there. When you're looking at a blessed life, a blessed life it comes from God's spirit at work in your life. Amen. So you can be blessed whether you live in an outhouse or a castle or a prison. You can live a blessed life whether you're in Africa, America, or Antarctica. A blessed life is not required to have natural things. Amen? And oftentimes, oftentimes the enemy uses those natural things to subvert your love and devotion towards God. Because when our natural things that we just naturally have begin to get shaken, we get shaken. Okay, maybe not for you, but most people are like that. Most people, when they can't pay their Swepco bill, they freak out. Most people, they just, that, that's how things are. However... We, we want to look at the blessed life from the perspective that the Lord gives. So it's not blessed are those with a two-story house. And if you have a two-story house, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just letting you know that's not what he said. He didn't say blessed are those with three cars, three kids, two dogs, money in the bank. That's not what he said. Blessed are the peacemakers. So let's look at what a peacemaker is because that's where, you know, you, you, you do, do you know that you can go buy books at the Christian bookstore, which I don't, we have only one, I think, in our city now. Um, but you know that you can go buy books on the blessed life, and it's all about natural things. But where is the peacemaker? So let's look at that. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Let's get a, a little working definition, and if, you, you know, you guys that have been going through this uh, series with us, you know, uh, Pastor Kenny's going to go to the Webster's Dictionary. You don't have to know any foreign language to study the Bible with us. You just go to the Webster's Dictionary. You don't have to know Latin, Hebrew, or Greek, or Aramaic, or anything else, because the Bible was translated for us from Hebrew and Greek into English. We take it for what it is, another sermon. However, let's, uh, but I will tell you, not all dictionaries are the same. So the one that I use is the oldest one, the very first one, Webster's 1828. And if you get a lot of dictionaries back then, well, you're going to see a lot of the Bible in it because the Bible was used to teach people. 
whenever, you know, instead of making up new books and writing all kinds of stories, they would use the Bible to teach children how to read and write and all kinds of things. But anyways, Webster's 1828 Dictionary is where I get my definitions. So if you ever want to keep up with me, you can certainly do that there. Here's definition for a peacemaker. One who makes peace by reconciling parties that are at variance. Simple. Okay, so we're, we're looking at reconciling two people who have differences. That's a peacemaker. So God is looking for people who are looking at other people and not judging them, not saying poor, pitiful so-and-so, right? And, and not necessarily comparing their self to their situation, but when you see two people that are at odds, desiring to see them be reconciled, okay? Now, understand peace works in multiple ways. There is peace between the brethren and peace on earth, but then there's a greater peace to be had. That's peace between us and God. So there's two different ways of peace. peace. Peace goes this way, and then it goes this way. You can't, you can't start out with peace this way and then try to go this way. Peace has to first come between you and God. Once you got the peace of God working in your life, then and only then are you able to extend that peace and look for ways to bring other people into peace. Same way with love. Same way with love. Love doesn't work. You can't love the people of the world and then try to love God. You can't find fulfillment by loving another person and then love God better. It doesn't work that way. It's finding out that God loves you and then loving him back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then love your neighbor, right? Notice the order. That comes from Jesus. That's uh, Mark chapter 11. So notice it's love God first. So whenever you're talking about peace, it's peace with God first, and then you're going to look at other people. If you don't have love between you and God, what do you have to give someone else? Emotions. You can't give what you don't have. And I'm not, you know, talking about carnal things. Talking about the things of the spirit. You can't give what you don't have. And if you're not right with God, you can't find that, you can't help anyone else out in those areas. And one of the failures that we've seen in our nation, and it's not just our nation, I'm sure, but especially in our nation, is this thing where people think that they finally get completed by another person. You, you become a new person in Christ. Amen. And that's where it begins, and then you can properly love others. Because, you know, once you know that God loves you, then you can properly love others. Because God's love is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? And we've, we've done a sermon series on that on Sunday nights a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. And it's powerful. Love is, is kind. It's, it's not easily angered. It's, it's gentle. It's, you know, it's long-suffering. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. There's so much to love that's just so powerful. Um, and peace, when we're looking at peace, I just want to just kind of point that out because when you're looking at someone uh, seeing two parties at variance or at difference and then seeking to bring them in reconciliation, you first got to have reconciliation between you and God. 
because otherwise you're going to be partial to one side or the other. So as we work through this, just understand peace works two different ways. There's a peace between uh, brethren, and, and then there's the peace between us and God. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples um, of, of what I'm talking about, of people bringing reconciliation. Um, Abraham and Lot. How many of y'all remember Abraham and Lot? This is the story, is, you can reference it in Genesis 13 later. But what you'll see is, is God was beginning to bless Abraham. Abraham was walking in God's blessings. And you know what? They figured out that it, there was just no way that they could cohabitate together. They had to separate. And Abraham said, you know what, Lot? We can't keep doing it like this. We can't keep doing it like this. So you pick anything you want and you go wherever you want. So what he did was he found a way to keep them reconciled. That reconciled them. So, so the opposite of that would be don't touch my stuff, don't look at my stuff. You live with me, you get, get in line. Right? That's, that's the opposite. But, but Abraham's desire was to find reconciliation between him and and Lot, and God blessed Abraham for many reasons, and that's one of them. That's one of them because his desire was for peace, not animosity. Not animosity. What's another one? Y'all remember Jonathan, how Jonathan was working that relationship with David and Saul? Jonathan was always trying to work that relationship with, between Saul and, and David because they were at odds with one another, and Jonathan was stuck in the middle because he loved them both, right? He loved them both. And so he's all the time going over here to talk to Saul, blah, 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 blah. And he's going over here to David, blah, 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 blah. What's he doing? He's trying to bring them into reconciliation. And you know what? You don't see it in his life, but you see it in the life of Mephibosheth, his son, because David extended kindness to his only living son and kept him at the king's table for the rest of his living life. Even though he was, you know, injured and hurt and couldn't walk, David still honored what Jonathan did because Jonathan was a peacemaker. And so God blesses the peacemaker, and so uh, God blessed Jonathan's family, even though Jonathan didn't get to see it with his own eyes. Um, another one that I want to show you is uh, Paul, or, or I'll tell you, Paul. How many of y'all remember Paul? Uh, whenever he set about on his first missionary journey, it was him and Barnabas, and then he took another guy with him. How many of y'all know who I'm talking about? He took Mark. That's right. He took Mark with him. And Mark, the, for whatever reason, he flaked out. I thought we were going good. We were having this missionary time. I mean, the power of God was moving, and then all of a sudden, our help's leaving us. Where are you going? He's going back home. He had enough. And when they go to make their second missionary journey at the end of Acts chapter 15, when they go to make their second one, Paul said, he's not going with us. And Barnabas said, oh, yes, he is. And Paul said, oh, no, he's not. And they had a, they had a big, huge disagreement. And from that point forward, Paul and Barnabas never missionaried together as far as we know. From that point forward, it became Paul and Silas, not Paul and Barnabas. But... What a lot of people don't grasp is at the end of Paul's life, in his letter to Timothy, at the very end of it, the very end, he said, everybody's left me, bring to me Mark. 
for he's profitable to me. He was desiring to bring this broken and frayed relationship into reconciliation. He wanted, before he died, before he was martyred, he wanted to make sure to speak into Mark's life and to bring wholeness to that relationship. Isn't that amazing? And God does that on us. What is that? That means that he didn't harbor it. He didn't grow bitter over it. Do you know that whenever you have, whenever you have variants or whenever you begin to get at odds with people, a lot of times bitterness can begin to grow. And one of the things that we've dealt with on the past what, two Sunday nights or maybe Sunday night, Sunday morning is bitterness. Bitterness will rob you from the power of God in your life. But when you desire to get set free of bitterness, the power of God will hit you. Bitterness, bitterness will hold you back from going forward in God. And, but what you see, though, is like with, with the life of Paul, he didn't hold on to that bitterness he let it go because he desired this reconciliation we're talking about. So this is that blessed life. This is that blessing that God, and, and each one of us knows within ourselves when people do us wrong, when people do us wrong, whether you're ready to cut their head off or run their name down or delete them on Facebook. I got to speak to our generation, sorry. Some of y'all are like, what? You, you do all that, or do you desire to actually truly bring reconciliation to the relationship? And so we're going to work through a lot of these issues tonight, and it kind of gets a little bit sticky when you get into it. Um, so how many times are you supposed to forgive somebody? Seven times 70, and you don't count, do you? You don't say, okay, that's 489. Do one more, buddy. We're not supposed to count, are we? Because how many of you know God don't count with you? God don't count with you. How many chances has God given you? Aren't you glad God didn't say, okay, you've had 489. You better not mess up again. Aren't you glad God didn't do that to us? Don't do it to others. Don't, don't limit grace towards others. Don't limit this peacemaking. This is, this is where you become a, a, it says you'll be called a child of God. This is when you're acting as a child of God. This is when you are living out what God has made you to be, when you're desiring to bring people into reconciliation. And there's more to that we're going to get into. But first, before we do that, let's look at, at peacemaking as a lifestyle. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 14. So Romans chapter number 14, we're looking at being a peacemaker as a lifestyle. Somebody who's probably gone through a Bible study at some church that talked about the fruit of the Spirit probably remembers that peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. So this, what we're talking about, when you're talking about a peacemaker, what you're doing is you're, you are in line or in tune with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is growing in you. You're abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, and the byproduct of that abiding relationship is the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is what we're talking about tonight, peace. So if you're not abiding in Christ, and Christ isn't abiding in you, guess what? You're not a peaceful person. When people get around you, they walk on eggshells. You better not say the wrong thing to sister so-and-so because she'll slam your head in the wall. 
Or maybe she'll slash your tires in the parking lot. It's happened in churches, don't worry. Thank the Lord it hasn't happened here. That's a warning, by the way. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> but, but what I want you to see, though, is some people are just peaceful people. They're peaceable. Some people are peaceable, but some people, you, you got to watch how you approach them. How many of you have been around people that's like, don't talk to me before I've had four cups of coffee? Right? Well, God wants to work something in you where even if you haven't had four cups of coffee, you still got a peaceable spirit, even though you may not be awake. Right? Okay, you got to get awake, get awake. But at least you can have a peaceable spirit until you wake up. And that's what we're looking at. That's the fruit of the spirit working in somebody's life. And nobody likes to be around people that are all the time, what? Downers, bitter, slamming stuff, breaking stuff. I always say this, but I just, you know, I've lived through this. You've, You've never seen anybody grow in peace one iota by slamming a plate against the wall. Nobody's ever opened up a kitchen cabinet, grabbed all the cups and flung them across the kitchen and said, oh, I feel so much better. Peace don't happen that way. Peace comes from God. It's a spiritual thing when you get in line with the Holy Spirit. It's abiding in Christ. So uh, our flesh is going to try to subvert us. Our flesh is going to try to keep us back from... Your flesh will give you reasons to not be at peace with folks. Your flesh will give you reasons to say, well, they've done it to me one too many times. Right? Okay. So Romans chapter number 14, did I tell you what verse to go to? 19. Well, let's look at verse number 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. You know, that's what false religions and cults focus on. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is accepted to God and approved of men. Listen to this. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another so this peacemaking this peacemaking that we're talking about what it does is it lifts someone up out of the ditch that they're in when somebody is at odds with somebody else you've got to begin to see it as they've got stuck in a rut don't get in the he said she said don't get in the they took my rake and I took their four-wheeler don't don't get into all that kind of stuff because there's no end to it. If you've ever, have you ever gotten, tried to play mediator between somebody having an irrational argument? If they're, gonna, if they're irrational, they're irrational. You can't ration with someone who's irrational. It has to go down to the spirit. And so the, what, what a, a child of God will do is seek to bring peace into that relationship. When people are at odds with one another, when people are at one another's throats, when sister so-and-so keeps taking sister so-and-so's parking spot, all this kind of stuff, all this kind of stuff that can go on in our lives, this real nitty-gritty, that rubs me the wrong way kind of stuff, 
what we what we do is we see when somebody's in a ditch like that. That's called getting stuck in a rut. You know that you can take your eyes off the Lord and begin to focus on. I, I just know whenever I pull up to that church, sister so and so is going to be in my spot. You can get so focused on things that have no eternal value, you'll get so focused on those issues, right? You're taking your eyes off the Lord. You're losing your peace. You're in a rut. You're in a rut. Sister Marty said, it's a grave with the ends kicked out. You'll stay in that rut until you till you take your eyes off the issue and put your eyes back on the Lord and begin to see it from his perspective, right? So our desire is to edify one another, not push one another down. You see that in that verse? It says they make for peace and it edifies, it edifies each other. So the desire of a child of God is to lift each other up. The opposite is when the spirit of the devil is working and you seek to be the king of the hill and knock everybody else down that gets close to your spot. And don't kid yourself, people act like that in churches. Now, I'm dealing with churches, by the way, because, you know, someone that's not right with God really can't find peace in the world. So we're talking about people of God. And even in, the, even in the church house, there are some folks that, that play the king of the hill. You know, I got my spot. I got my thing that I do. I got my area that I serve in. I've got my title. And when anybody begins to, you know, the Lord begins to move in their life, I've got to find a reason to tear them down. This stuff happens all the time. So we're either builders or tearers down. And you see this verse is talking about the peace person. They're either, you're, you are either setting out, well, there's, there's three options, really. So you're either just in la-la land, not whatever, or your desire of your heart is to edify your brothers and sisters and bring them into peaceful relationships, whatever it is, or you're operating in the flesh and you're tearing people down. Did you see what brother so-and-so did? And he knows I don't like it. This kind of stuff. This kind of stuff is what it does. It, it tears people down. Now, let's stay on that for just a second. Go to uh, Proverbs chapter number 16, verse 28. Proverbs 16, verse 28. So whenever you're looking at brother so-and-so doing so-and-so, then there's always stuff. In Proverbs 16, In verse number 28, it says a froward man is somebody who's, who's not right with God, okay? A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. You see, they're kind of synonymous there. A, a froward person, this is a person who, who's not right with God, who is allowing their flesh to overrule their spirit. This person sows strife. I know nobody else is going to tell you this, but brother so-and-so don't like you. <laughs> Sister so-and-so was sure looking at you. You see, a, a froward person, someone who's not right with God. Now, look, they may go to church. 
They may smile when they walk in the door. They might even carry a Bible under their arm. But that doesn't mean they're right with God. And a froward person is someone who sows strife. So this is one of those things where you go, man, I thought we were doing Bible study, not heart examination. But this is heart examination because we're talking about this blessed life. And if, if we tend to sow strife into situations where we are allowing the devil to use us, okay? So strife is something here that we don't want to be associated with. We would rather be on the other end of the, of the spectrum. Strife will tear even the strongest person down. You can only get so much of that before it just begins to wear on you. But in the opposite manner, as we read in, in Romans 14, verse 19, those that go after peace edify one another. So you have two different spectrums, and then you even see that the whisperer separates even the chief of friends. A whisperer is a gossip. Whisperer is a gossip. Nobody ever gossips out loud, right? I know on Facebook, but they might delete it or something, but... But gossip is, gossip is one of those things where you, you, you're not going to tell everybody. You're only going to tell certain people, right? And, it, and my rule of thumb is if you can't say it to that person's face, then you probably shouldn't be saying it. Amen. And if you, and, and here's the other thing about a whisperer or a, or a gossip. This is just, you know, extra little, little here. Um, the, the, the problem with a gossiper is, they have to have a willing ear to listen. If, if sister so-and-so's a gossip, hey, pray for her. Don't give her your ear, though. Amen. If y'all keep going and, you know, having coffee and, it, well, I just know whenever I sit with her, the com I know where the conversation's going to go. When we're going to start talking about stuff. I know we shouldn't talk about it. Then don't. Don't. Your lending of the ear pours gasoline on the gossiper's fire. Okay, so that fire won't burn without the ear there, okay? And so that's one of the problems, and what it does is it'll rob you of your spiritual peace. It'll rob you of your spiritual victory. It'll actually begin to cause you to feel conviction because you know, you know that you're not doing right. So one of the things that you see here is, is a whisper separates even chief friends. Someone who's a froward heart and, and, and sows strife is doing it to bring division. Right? Y'all remember those kind of people back in school? That's my friend. I'm going to try to separate them. Y'all remember those kind of people? That's what we're talking about. It's just a, a, someone who sows that kind of stuff, they do it in a desire to bring separation to people, not lift them up. Right? And so this is, you know, how many of you know, whenever we're talking about strife, we're, we're, we're talking about people that are tearing other people down. That's what this is in reference to. So this strife is seeking to divide the body of Christ. When Christ has labored and sacrificed that we all might be one, whether we're male or female, Jew or Greek, Barbarian, Scythian, whatever it is, red, yellow, purple, black, or white, it's the same gospel that saves. And, and we're all one in that same Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. 
And when anybody tries to separate the, the body of Christ, they're doing the work of the devil. And what Jesus is teaching is when you're doing the opposite, when, you're, when you see someone working like that in a church, especially when God begins to move in a church, it happens because the devil is always going to bring in his agents to do that stuff. But when, when you see it happening, you should be going there and trying to lift those people up out of those ruts, right? So that's, that's what this is in reference to. Because the devil's always going to try to separate the body of Christ one from another. But the Lord's desire, the Lord's desire is that we bring reconciliation between those parties that are at odds. Or um, as our definition said, at variance with one another. Amen? Amen? So this all stems from this mindset that the Lord gives us. It all stems from a mindset that the Lord gives us. And not only does he just tell us what to do, he embodied it and he walked it out. And if you go over there, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, and I'll show you this mindset that the Lord had. This mindset that he had was he was willing to uh, be made nothing for us in a desire to help us. Philippians chapter number 2. Let's look at verse number one. It says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. So the desire here is that the church be in one accord and one mind. That's in, in unison, in unity. This is why, you know, it's so important that you, you know, are a part of a church that has the right mission, right? And those kinds of things. Um, because you want to be in one accord and you want to be in unity with one another. Look at the next verse. Though. Look at verse number three. This is where you kind of get into this mindset difference it said let nothing be done through strife there's your word again or vainglory now if the opposite of strife is going to be shown here so what so this is and strife is the opposite of peace okay so don't let anything be done through strife or vainglory how many of y'all know that sometimes people even in churches do things for vainglory you don't need to define that one either People are vain, and they want to puff themselves up, right? They want to put their name in bright lights or that kind of stuff. Let everybody know, I did this and I did that. Vainglory. Um, it, it is not of God. And you know when someone's operating in it. You know it. Well, you should. You should see it. You should see it because it should stand out because you shouldn't be operating in it. So it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but look at this next part. This is key. This will change your walk. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. In lowliness of mind, esteem others. You know what that means? Uh, this is one of my sayings. It's called taking the low road. And I know like sometimes that doesn't make sense, but in the kingdom... You should always prefer others above yourself. You should always, 
you should always seek that others grow before you or that others get blessed before you or that others get help before you you should if if you come into a disagreement i want i want to paint the wall red i want to paint the wall blue the child of god says hey let's pray about it let's pray about it get peace about it and then whichever way is fine with me it's it's not a it has to be this way it's a, hey, let's pray about it and see which way the Lord wants us to do it. I'm willing to come off if you're willing to come off. That's the desire. That's the desire that God wants us to see. And that's how the Lord, that's how the Lord through his spirit works in the church. It's, it's not through strife. It's not through vainglory. It's not, you know, it's not somebody saying it's my way or the highway. No, no, it's Jesus's way. And we should all be subservient to his way, his will, his spirit, and seeking that we all live in peace with one another. And, and if it comes to the point where your opinion and somebody else's opinion conflicts, that's where you have an opportunity to flesh out this verse. Say, you know what? I don't need anybody to think I'm all that. I'm willing to be of no reputation. I'm willing to go low of mind and let you advance in front of me. Are you willing to do that? Or, you know, are you the type of person where your issues are just too critical? You can't let anybody have their way. If it, now, if they, if they go with you, that's fine. But the test is when somebody goes against you. The test is when somebody says, I just don't see it that way. I just don't agree with that. I just don't see it that way. Now, that's when we've got to put our ways before the Lord. Don't just keep holding on, digging in. You're digging the rut deeper. The child of God in those circumstances seeks to have the other lifted up, not themselves. So it's the opposite mentality of king of the hill. Have you ever played that game like I was referring to earlier? It is the opposite mentality of king of the hill. What a child of God's desire is when people come into a church and God begins to use them and bless them and grow them, the true child of God, instead of stomping them down, lifts them up. Okay, that's the, that's the heart behind it. And, and how much... How much you know, it, it means so much whenever uh, you get into a, a, a situation and a mature Christian models this out. And how sad is it that this doesn't happen that much? Th this, is, this is how we're showing that we are a child of God by our peacemaking. And it is one of the main things that we don't see modeled out in the church. It's, it's this person's way or the highway when it should be Jesus's way or the highway. And we'll, we'll get into that. It should be Jesus's way or the highway. So um, a couple of things we'll get into. First off, we're not talking about, when we're, when we're talking about finding peace, we're not talking about compromising on integrity. So we're not talking about appeasement. We're not saying, well, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't be drunk, but you know, if you wanna get drunk, that's fine with me. I mean, whatever keeps the peace. No, that's not keeping the peace. That, that is not keeping the peace. That is, that is appeasing ungodly and unjust actions. So that's not what we're talking about. So how do we look at it from that perspective? Well, first off, let me just kind of share with you first off. When, when, you're, 
you, you don't ever want to thumbs up something that is sin. Even if the person says, hey, just get off my back. Let's have peace. No, no, no. We can't have peace if it's sin. Where do we see this modeled at? Look to your father first. Whenever Lucifer desired to be lifted high and to be as God, as y'all know, some of you guys that have been through our false teaching things have known a lot of false teachings, they teach that. But when Lucifer was in, in heaven and he desired to be as God, to be worshiped as the most high, God didn't say, okay, well, let's just keep the peace. No, no, God kicked him out of heaven. The war started in heaven. God started it. And it's still going on. It's still going on. And the devil's still at work in the world today, puffing people up, bucking against God's way of doing things. And so one of the things I want you to see is when you're looking at, at, at making peace, you're not to appease iniquity. You're not to appease iniquity. You even see this fleshed out a little bit further in Luke chapter 4, whenever Jesus and Satan were in the desert. Remember, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. He said, get behind me, Satan. Wouldn't do it. He said, you should worship the Lord your God only. It, and you know what? That shows you right there that it's not all about just, you know, making sure every relationship, every conversation is lovey-dovey, but it's standing for truth, desiring peace. But if that person is standing in iniquity, just hold your ground. You see it modeled out right there in Luke chapter number four with the Lord himself. And it's a great, a, a great illustration that we're not called, uh, you know, to appease injustice. It's we're, we are seeking peace, but we're seeking peace, listen, with integrity. We're seeking peace with integrity. Important distinction. Important distinction. Um, Let's go over to Matthew chapter number 18 and look at something over here. Matthew chapter number 18. One of the things that we'll see is that sometimes even within a church, conflict will arise. And the, the man or the woman of God's desire is to find a peaceful resolution to it. And and Jesus is going to give us how to do it. And he doesn't say, okay, if y'all have a conflict, you give up half and you give up half. That's how the world finds peace. And it's not true peace. Watch how Jesus says we are to handle conflicts in a church. Because whenever there's a conflict, somebody is going to be wrong and somebody's going to be right. And who makes that determination? The Bible does. The Bible is our final authority. So if, if somebody, you know, if somebody says, well, you know what? I think it should be like this. I think it should be like that. We go to the word of God to settle the difference. Somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. You're not going to have two rights. The, the word of God is a dividing line. It's black and white. There's no gray in the Bible. If there is, you need to check it because it's, it's black and white. It's thus saith the Lord. 
He didn't say, I kind of feel this way. God said, thus saith the Lord. So watch how Jesus says to handle conflict in the church. It's a good admonition real quick to get to show you. Verse number 15, Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, let it go. No, wrong translation, right? You see, the, the world's peace would have said, let it go. But that's not how Jesus tells us to handle the situation. If your brother trespasses against you, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, you've gained a brother. Thou hast gained thy brother. Verse number 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So if somebody is unwilling to obey what the word of God says, we're to, we are to lovingly challenge them on it. And if they don't receive it, we're supposed to bring two or three witnesses to say, hey, this is what the Bible says, and, you know, you're doing this. And if they still reject it, then you bring it before the church. And the church says, hey, this is what the Bible says, and you're doing this. And then if they still don't receive it, you're supposed to remove them from the church. Not forever. The desire is for repentance. The desire is for what we're talking about now, which is reconciliation. So there's a lot of nitty-gritty in, the, in, in these kind of issues, and you've got to be very careful because church hurt is like no other kind of hurt. So whenever you're dealing with this kind of stuff, you, you have to remember that you don't do this kind of stuff willy-nilly. You don't say, I'm bringing you up in front of the church because you took my parking spot for the third time this month. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, if you're acting like that, you might be the one that needs to be canceled. So you, you have to be very careful on how you do these things because we have, we have easily broken hearts. And someone can get extremely broken in a church setting because in a church we're supposed to trust. And when we get hurt in a church, it hurts deeper. than You know, if somebody talks bad about you in church, it hurts worse than when they talk bad about you at work because you expect people in church to have your back. You expect them to be like the Lord's talking about, a peacemaker, not a strife maker. And, and so that's why church hurt can get really deep really quick. And if you've ever been hurt in a church, you know what I'm talking about. It's brutal. It's brutal. Sometimes people don't come back from it. That's why they need deep prayer. And if you've been hurt in the past and, and you've made it through, you need to praise God and keep looking forward. Don't look back on the he said, she said, because every time you do that, your heart's going to start getting broken again. Just keep going forward, right? So the Lord kind of models this out, but, but notice what he said. He said, you know, to, to remove them. And Paul actually did this. The apostle Paul did this with the Corinthian church. I say, oh, that's, that's just for before the cross. No, 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 because he's talking about the church. The same church that was established, right, by the revelation of who he was. Remember that with Peter? Remember that? Caesarea? Okay. Now, one of the things I want you to see, though, is he models this out, and then, and then 
the apostle Paul picks it up because in the Corinthian church, you remember what was going on? There was a guy that was having his father's wife. Every theologian believes that's his stepmom, whatever. It's a, not of God because they're not married. But they were having a sexual relationship, and it was not right. And even though, and if you remember, the church was still being used of God, the, the operation of the Holy Spirit, it was still going on in the church, but they had a major sin issue. And Paul did not appease it. He didn't look over it, right? He didn't say, well, he'll grow out of it. He touched it. He said, that's not right. We've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with it. And the problem was what Paul said, if you look at this, everybody in the church knew it, but they turned the other way. And a lot of times the sad reality is when there's sin in the leadership of the church, there are people in the church that know about it that have turned the other way. That's a sad reality. And what they're doing, if, if you are covering for someone else's sin, you're deceiving the body of Christ. If you know somebody's not doing right, you should bring it straight to that person. And if they don't hear, you should bring it to others. But see, what happened in the Corinthian church, what really got under Paul's skin, is, is not, there, the problem was sin, but also the whole church knew about it and turned a blind eye. And that, a lot of times, sadly, happens in the church world today. A lot of times what happens in the church world today is sin gets swept under the rug. I heard a, a minister talking about revival, and if, you, you know, we, we pray on Monday nights. One of the things we pray for is revival. We want God to bring revival to 4350 Panther Drive and every other church in America. But one of the things, one of the things though, I heard a minister say about revival is when revival truly breaks out, it's not pleasant because sin begins to get confessed. Revival comes with tears and confession, Right? And see, the problem in a lot of churches is sin gets swept under the rug. We're, we're seeing right now God bringing things to light. There's church after church after church after church where sexual sins have been swept under the rug, but it's all coming to light. In our generation, I mean, God is just exposing this kind of stuff, and it's good. It needs to get the best disinfectant is sunlight, S-O-N best disinfectant is to bring it out of the darkness that's the only way you're going to get healed that's the only way there's going to be healing is when you bring those issues to christ but i've i've even seen churches um and, and you know you can look these up online but I, there was even recently a church where um the minister was having re improper relationships with some of the people of the church and instead of taking that person to the law they shipped them to another church. And so the church leadership that did that is actually a co-participant in the sin because they didn't bring it to light. And so this is one of those areas where, you know, the Lord says what he's saying here for a reason. Because if somebody's not willing to repent, you've got to show them in the scripture where it's wrong and hope that they repent. And if they don't, bring two or three witnesses. Just make sure that you're not reading it wrong, right? Let, that's why he said, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. That way you can get some agreement on, on hey, am I reading this right? Or, is the situation right? Because you want to bring this peace into this thing. 
And then if they still don't hear, then you bring it to the church. But like I said, the Apostle Paul, what really got under his skin was that every single person in the Corinthian church turned a blind eye to what they knew wasn't right. So we'll pick up the second half of that story. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 real quick. I got to move through this part quick. 2 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse number 8. Look what he said. Now, you know, he's following up the first letter where he got onto them. He said, for though, 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 8, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Now, do you know what? Some, some ministers are, are so, oh, you know, we just got to keep the peace. They would never do anything like this. You know what that means? That means they're squishy. J.C. Ryle said they're squishy jellyfish Christians. If a minister don't have a backbone, he's going to be used of the devil. You've got to have a backbone for God to use you because you're going to get in situations that are tough. They're nitty-gritty that you don't want to face. And he said, look, even though, you know, I made you sorry because I wrote this letter coming against you, I'm not sorry for it. I don't repent for it. Let's finish this. He said, uh, um, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed. Oh, wait, wrong verse. Verse number eight. For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you, might re- that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So what's the point of it all? Look, I did what I did to try to point you to the light. I'm sorry that it caused heartache. I'm sorry that it caused tears. But produced in you a desire to repent and for that I'm not sorry when 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 that's the desire there's nothing to be ashamed of when your desire is that people get right with the Lord that's a godly desire don't ever be ashamed for that that's a godly desire do it in a godly manner but notice what happened though just one one thing real real quick real quick I'll point out is that When they were sorry, God moved, and it took them to sorrow. There's a difference. There's a difference because anybody that's ever been caught with their hand in the cookie jar is sorry. But when God brings conviction, sorry goes to sorrow, which goes to repentance. Repentance is I'm not going to do it again. That's repentance. Sorry is, I didn't mean to upset you. Big difference. Big difference. Sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. Repentance, hey, I shouldn't have done it that way. I'll start doing it your way, Lord. So there's a big difference between sorry and repentance. Now let's go real quick to, uh, we're in 2 Corinthians. Just flip back over to chapter 5, verse number 18 while you're there. 
Because look, the greatest example that we can see in the Bible about a peacemaker is Jesus. Jesus modeled what a peacemaker is to us. Now, a peacemaker, by definition, was someone who set out to bring two parties, right, to into reconciliation that were at variance. So if Jesus is a peacemaker, who are the two par parties that were at variance? You and God. Because of your sin and because of God's holiness, there was... There was no way that that could ever come together. So Jesus actually models what he's called us to be. This is why when you model this in the church or in your family or in your life, that's why it says you'll be called a, a son of God, a child of God, because you are walking in the same steps that Jesus walked. He, he did what nobody else could do, which is bring you and God into reconciliation. And when you are in put in a position where people are at odds with one another and you're able to step in the middle and bring them together without losing integrity, you're walking the very same steps he did. So Jesus modeled this perfectly. Jesus is our peacemaker, the peacemaker between God and man. All men had sinned. Every man has sinned. Every man has uh, fallen and come short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And then God is holy, holy, holy. How do we reconcile that? The blood of Jesus. The only thing that can reconcile the fallen state of man and the glorious state of God is the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 18. It says, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of of reconciliation. So look, God sent Jesus to come here and bring us into reconciliation to God. And when you get it, when you get it, when you when you really get the fact that through Jesus you're reconciled to God. It's not of your works because you would boast according to Ephesians chapter 2. It's not of anything you've done, but it's by what Jesus did that you've been reconciled to God. And when you get it, he gives you this word, this ministry of reconciliation. When you get it, you know you didn't deserve it and you didn't do anything for it, and you then will desire that other people get it too. If you, Spurgeon said, if you don't desire that, you're not saved. That's a tough quote. But, but when you've truly been reconciled to God, then you truly will desire others because you know you didn't buy it, you didn't earn it, you didn't work for it. God did it not because your last name, not because your skin color, not because the country you're in, but because your faith in what Jesus did. He died for the whosoever to bring the whosoever into reconciliation to God. 
Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Powerful verse. Uh, chapter 1. Look at verse number 19. Colossians 1 is really good whenever you get into... Uh, Whenever you get into apologetics or, or sharing faith, these are really good scriptures to get into. They're foundation principles. Look at verse number 19, though. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus, should all fullness dwell. It's talking about his deity. And having made, what's our word for tonight? Peace. Having made peace through the what? Blood of his cross, listen, not because he was born again in hell. Through the blood of his cross, you've been brought to peace. Don't let somebody lie to you. Through the blood, you've been redeemed. Through the blood, no, nobody of God would disparage the blood of his cross. Listen having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. How many of y'all, how many of y'all at one time were alienated and enemies to God? It says, you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. So who's the true peacemaker? Jesus. The true peacemaker is Jesus. And when we desire to see people that are at odds come into reconciliation, we're walking in his steps. But he did it on the grandest scale possible, bringing sinful man into reconciliation with a holy God. And, and for that, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. He's our mediator, right? There's one, medi one mediator between God and men, not God and little gods. There's one mediator between God and men because there's only one God. And there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's God in the flesh is the mediator. It is the coming, it is, this is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. That's the only way possible. God's that holy and we're not. And the only way possible is that God the Son became a man. He never stopped being God, but he became a man too. It's called the, the theological $2 word for the day is the hypostatic union. That means he's fully God and fully man. He, he never stopped being God, and after the Virgin Mary birthed him, he never stopped being man. Okay, so here's um, one last thing I'll get into, and we'll close. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. We'll close right here. We'll begin with verse number 3. And, and all this is is just talking about how Jesus reconciled you. Because it wasn't anything on your part. He didn't require you to do 50 and he to do 50. He did it all. He did it all. 
Because the 50 that you thought you could bring in the Old Testament was the blood of bulls and goats and heifers. Birds, whatever. That, that was, the Old Testament was us bringing our 50. The New Testament was God saying your 50 is not good enough. Look at verse number three. It said, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, who came into the world, guys? God the Son, Jesus. When he cometh into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. What does that mean? Your 50 is not good enough. So he came into the world. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. It wasn't you sacrificing animals and you offering pigeons to God that could appease the sin. It was God the Son coming to a body that was prepared for him. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. That's the Old Testament. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's the gospel. Jesus stepped out of glory to come to earth to bring reconciliation between you and God. And up until that time, we had been cutting stuff, killing stuff, sacrificing stuff, burning stuff. We've been doing everything we could do, but the Bible said none of that could ever take away sin. It was always there. Only the blood of the lamb can remove that sin. And that's why Jesus came, and he came for that body that was prepared. That's why we take communion in remembrance of his body and his blood that instituted the new covenant. That's what he said. He said, this is the New Testament. Take this. This is the New Testament. Take this. And so that's why we do that. But so whenever we're talking about a peacemaker, always remember Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He's the one that's bringing reconciliation between two parties who are at variance. And whenever you're doing that, whenever you're bringing two parties together without losing integrity, you're walking in the steps and as he said in Matthew 5, 9, now you know why you'd be called a child of God because you'll be doing the very same thing he did on a minor scale. He did it on the major scale. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. And Lord, we thank you for helping us to understand what a peacemaker is.